We read the Word of God in a couple places this evening, and in the first place, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. And we read the whole chapter. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal." The second place, the, God, the epistle to the Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8, and we'll read verses 18 through 25. Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We'll read to verse 30. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inspired word, 2 Corinthians 4 and Romans chapter 8. May he bless the reading thereof unto our hearts. The scripture that we consider in particular this evening is Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, that great anthem and presentation of the encouragement that is the Christians in the here and now in this present age. Christian who still finds himself a sinner, but lo and behold, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Christian who finds himself in a fallen world, plagued by the sufferings and afflictions that belong to this present age, the Apostle Paul brings a word of comfort and encouragement and assures us of that which we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the text that we consider this evening, verse 18, speaks to those sufferings of this present age, or as it's put in the text, the present time. We didn't read it, but the verse right before the Apostle Paul explaining what is the Christian status as a justified child of God and an heir of all things in Jesus Christ. At the end of that verse, he speaks these words. He says, If so be that we suffer with him, that we may all be also glorified together. 
And with the end of verse 17, that there is this turn in the chapter as the Apostle Paul, as it were, takes on, faces, and addresses the real sufferings that the sons and daughters of God experience in this life. And he gets into those sufferings, and he brings the Word of God that encourages in the midst of those sufferings, such as is verse 18. What a tremendous verse. What a tremendous Word of God in this verse. The Apostle says, For I reckon, let's talk about these sufferings. This is what I reckon about them. Here the Apostle Paul is giving his estimation of things. He is uh, making an assessment here. He's expressing uh, his opinion more than that. His judgment, the inspired word of God. And he says, for I reckon. And in this reckoning, he puts in the balances. He puts on the scales of the balance. The sufferings of the present time and the weight of glory the glory that shall be revealed in us. And his conclusion, not worthy to be compared. So great and so grand and so weighty is the weight of glory that is in store for all the children of God. Again, that's not just a man saying so. This is the word of God by the Apostle Paul not only to the Romans so many years ago, but to you, the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, let us consider verse 18 under this theme, sufferings and glory reckoned. Noticing in the first place what is reckoned, noticing in the second place the reckoning, and noticing in the third place that he reckons, he judges things by faith, and not by sight, by faith. Well, what does the Apostle Paul reckon in, these, in this verse here? Well, what are, what's in the balances here? What's on the scale? And in the first place, he speaks of the sufferings of this present time. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, you'll notice there in that text that there, is this, there are these two ages that the Apostle Paul has in view. The first place he has in view the, what's called the present time, or as it's called another place, the present age in which we live. And in contrast to that, you have this age to come. Literally, the verse reads, the glory that is going to be, that is about to be revealed. So it, there's this glory uh, that, that is proper to the age to come when Jesus returns that shall be revealed in us. So you have present time, and you have age to come. Well, in this present time, what is this present time? And it's, it's life under the sun. Between now and the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. The present time is the life that we live as Christians as, as we await the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it, it is a life that is lived right in the midst of this fallen world. And we ourselves having a, 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 an earthly body uh, that, that is deteriorating. The effects of the fall are, are still felt. There is still this sin dwelling in us that the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 7. So this is this life in this present time. And belonging to this present time are these sufferings. These sufferings of this present time. 
Now, what are those? Well, these are the things that press out of the heart and the soul of the child of God, the groaning that we read of in the verses following. In the verses that follow 18, you have the creation herself groaning. You have the, you have the child of God, we groaning, longing for, for the more that is in store. These sufferings here in this verse are the things that press out of your eyes, the tears that keep you up at night, that afflict you, that burden you. Now, as regards what these sufferings are, on the foreground, in verse 18, are the sufferings with Christ that Paul speaks of in verse 17. The end of verse 17, it says, If so be that we suffer with him. Well, with whom? With Jesus. If so be that we suffer with Christ, that we may be also glorified together. That's on the foreground here in verse 18. Uh, Consider verse 36. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. What are these sufferings with Christ? that are on the foreground. Well, these are those sufferings that the Christian experience as a Christian because he's a Christian. For Jesus' namesake kind of sufferings that he incurs and that are, that are elicited by reason of his confession uh, of Jesus Christ. As the church lives and moves in the midst of this world, a world that hates Christ and that therefore hates the church, as the church lives and moves, confessing the name Jesus, confessing the truth, walking uh, and, and purposing to live in, in godliness, that draws this hostility and enmity that Jesus himself speaks of in the book of John. If they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And truly that uh, sector, or that group of sufferings there is so great and so hard for the church and for the child of God in particular when he experiences them. And there is a certain uniqueness about those sufferings too. Sufferings with Christ. Suffering for his name's sake. Whereas, for example, if we were to get sick, well, we are, we are sick and, and there's, there's really no way out of, uh, of that sickness Uh, if it pleases not uh, God to deliver us from that sickness. Whereas with sufferings with Christ, there is this temptation that maybe the believer feels from within or, or that is, as it were, spoken into his ear, this temptation to turn his back on Christ, to defect from the cause of Christ and thus shake the yoke of the cross off of him and thus escape and get out of the suffering that he's receiving for Jesus' sake. So there is something very unique about those sufferings with Jesus that ought not to be minimized, how hard that is for the children of God when they are reproached or reviled, when they lose, when they suffer uh, for righteousness' sake. But this verse 18 here, the the principle of this text embraces all the sufferings that we experience in this life. And there is reason to say that the apostle has his eye 
uh, on, a, on the whole gamut, the whole scope of sufferings that befall us in this life. Well, what's one reason? Well, if you look at the verses that follow, you notice how the Apostle Paul, he speaks of the creation groaning. Creation itself feeling the effects of the fall, our fall into sin in Adam. And so he has this, this cosmic scope. He's, he's looking big picture here. He, the, the very universe, the very creation, which is reason to broaden the scope of the principle of this text. Not only that, but from a practical perspective, the kind of sufferings that God's children experience, the list, who, can, who could list them all out? And we need comfort with respect to those sufferings, all kinds of sufferings that you experience in this present time. Well, this text can handle it all. This text can handle all the sufferings. There is not one suffering that a son or daughter of God experiences uh, that this text does not apply to. Not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Well, what are some of those kinds of suffering? Well, think about the sufferings that, that fall under the scope and, uh, and under the umbrella of death that came into this world by our sin in Adam. Romans chapter 5, uh, for as by one man's sin, death entered into the world and death upon all. Well, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is acutely aware that death is a present reality that we experience. And death is not to be limited only to the moment of death. Which, which does give reason for, uh, for weak knees, you might say. And the Apostle Paul knows something about that too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The hope of, and, and the gospel there is the resurrection of Jesus in whom we have the victory over death. The point is, death is a very broad umbrella. And there is so much that belongs under it. And that can be categorized under that, under that head. Sickness. Disease belongs to this death that we brought in because of our sin. And so now consider just that, just the matter of sicknesses and diseases. And the church is not immune from them. And sometimes sicknesses and diseases that turns one's, turn one's life completely upside down, it feels like. When sickness and disease, say, of cancer enters into a home and the whole family now feels the weight of this diagnosis and what it's going to mean from here on out, that's suffering, that's heaviness, that's burden that many a child of God experiences. But don't limit it to sickness and disease with respect to the body. Don't forget about the mind, our brain. That too has uh, received effect from the fall. And how many a child of God all over this earth, on the outside everything looks well, the body physically is functioning well, but when it comes to the mind, it's like a prison house. The darkness of depression, 
and, and so much that we experience in our mind. Well, how about the sufferings that God's children experience that are caused by human sin? Caused by human evil. How much evil has been done against the sons and daughters of God in this present time? And what a burden, what heaviness is felt in that. Things that maybe we don't think about a whole, a whole lot. If our, if our own family structures are, are well. But the suffering of growing up in a broken home. The suffering of brokenness in a relationship with a loved one or a friend or a family member. The suffering that parents and grandparents experience when they have a wayward child who has left the path and shows no sign of returning. Or the silent sufferings of the abused. And maybe no one knows it. And they don't know if anyone will understand. And there is this ache, there is this emptiness, there is this suffering that is experienced within. Well, look here in this text. The Apostle Paul, he faces the sufferings. He doesn't pretend them away. He reckons with them. He faces them. He takes stock of them. And that's important for us, to, for us to realize too and for us to understand. There are sufferings so awful that we naturally shrink from thinking about it. Brother, and sister, a brother or a sister who is going through something so awful that it's like something within us says, only think about it this far and no farther, because if you think about it farther, uh, you're going to be on your knees. Well, the Apostle Paul faces it, and we ought to face it. One of the reasons being to help. How, how, how can we help if we do not face it? How can we help if we turn a blind eye to it? The Apostle Paul faces it, but he has in view not only the sufferings, he has in view what is coming, and that is a Christian principle. That is a principle exhibited by the Apostle Paul again and again, the eye on the glory that shall be revealed, this forward-looking posture, this forward-looking view towards what is to come that encourages in the midst of the sufferings of the present. So let's consider this glory that shall be revealed in us. And who can fathom it? We stammer and, st and stutter in many ways as we try to consider what this is. It must be very great. It must be very great if the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with it. Well, this is the glory... It's the glory that is about to be revealed. This is the glory that we shall possess in body and soul when Jesus comes again. It is the glory of the age to come. It is the glory of the new world that shall be brought in in full at Christ's coming. And it says here, notice that the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
So it is this kind of existence that we shall participate in, in body and soul, in the, in the world to come. Now when it comes to the glory, Romans 5 verse 2 says, By whom, by Jesus Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So the glory of God. And the idea here is not only the glory that God shall give, but bigger. It is glory that has its source in God Himself. This glory is original in God Himself, who eternally possesses divine glory from all eternity. And from all eternity it pleased God, and God ordained to reflect His own glory in and through the creature in a way that is proper to the creature. So the glory that shall be revealed in us, it's not deification. It's not making gods out of human beings or uh, such that human beings uh, are, are divinized with the divine essence. But it is a glory original in God that is reflected in and through the creature to the glory of God's name. Well, if you look at the verses that follow 18, we're given some help in understanding what's being talked about here. Look at verse 19, it says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The revelation, the manifestation of the sons of God. This is the culmination of God's purpose in our adoption. And, and the creation itself is waiting to see and can't wait to see what this is going to look like when God finally fully realizes his purpose in our adoption, the sons of God glorified in Jesus Christ in the world to come. Verse 21 because the creature itself, she also, or the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious, there it is, glory, the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. When it comes to the glory that shall be revealed in us, don't forget body. Sometimes we think of the grand hope, maybe, maybe we don't think a whole lot of it. The point is, children, when they grow up, can be left with the impression uh, that, the, that heaven, like the final destination, is going to be a uh, like a spirit realm in which spirits are floating around and, or maybe uh, uh, this ethereal spirit choir that will be on the church bleachers singing in, uh, for all eternity. There's body here, okay? The redemption of our body glorified together with Jesus Christ who already himself possesses this body right now. 1 John 3, verse 2. Five little words, but who can comprehend it? The Apostle John says there, it does not right now appear, you know, what shall be, but this day is coming 
And it says, we shall be like him. We shall be like God. And we shall see him as he is. Now that's glory. Well, then what ground? This glory here, this is the highest conceivable point of existence of man. Like, it is a glory greater than which cannot be conceived. It is the height of it all. But now the question, what do you, why should you and I have anything to do with this glory with this blessedness, with this bliss, with this greatness that, that of which the text speaks. Why should you and I have anything to do with it? Romans 5.2 says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but how is it that a sinful mortal creature has a hope of glory to come when Jesus returns? Are we entitled to it because of our works? Are we entitled to it simply because we're human beings? Are we entitled to it because of how, how good we are? Are we entitled to it because of uh, our church membership and our faithful attendance to church? Are we entitled to it because we don't do things like those other people uh, do and that, and that we're very good at noticing? And the answer is no. That's not why anyone is entitled to this glory that shall be revealed in us. What, what's that the Scriptures? Romans chapter 3 talks about the glory of God, and it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. You, you notice that word all there. That includes you, and that includes me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it is one of the burdens of the apostle in this epistle to point out that this glory and this life is by no means because of man's doing, efforts, achievement, or anything like that. That's one of the great burdens of the apostle. The, the not by works, the man has sinned and God has to do it. God has to do it all. And that's the gospel that the apostle preaches. Of this God who rather than condemn the whole race to hell, which would have been just deserts for us all, this God who worked through Jesus Christ and accomplished the righteousness that is the key to the glory to come. What a gospel. Romans 8, verse 30, we, we read of this. It says, Moreover, Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. From all eternity, it was God's uh, unconditional purpose towards us who are sinners. Rather than to damn us to hell because of our sins. God purposed from all eternity, I will glorify them. I will send my son Jesus Christ into this world to pay for their sins, to do righteousness for them. 
and I will make them heirs of glory in my Son, and I will bring them to this glory to come. And to that end, wonder of wonders, to the end of the glorification of man, God himself came down from heaven and became man in Jesus Christ that man might be glorified together with him. And to the end of this glory that shall be revealed, Jesus accomplished righteousness through his atoning death on the cross and by his perfect obedience all his life long. And God raised him from the dead into glory. Jesus did it. The only man who's ever lived and moved uh, upon the earth who actually did the righteousness that is worthy of life and glory. And behold the resurrection. God glorified Jesus Christ, who is the head of the elect. And that righteousness and the title to this life and to this glory What does it cost for sinners, creatures of the dust, to have? And the cost is no cost. Free gift unto all and upon all them that believe. Wonder of grace. It is the righteousness of God that he gives freely that is unto all and upon all them that believe. As believers, we are heirs of the glory. Not them that have to work and do good enough in order to earn this glory or gain the title to this glory. We are heirs. It is ours in Jesus Christ, whosoever believes in him. And towards this glory, God leads us in this present time in which we live. Well, how about this reckoning? How about this reckoning? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now understand in this text, a text like this, the key is the comparison. And pastorally, practically, it's important to understand that the key is the comparison. You'll notice that the Apostle Paul does not say the sufferings of this present time are nothing, period. And with a text like this, we ought not to explain and apply it in such a way that minimizes the real heaviness of these sufferings for you and for the children of God uh, with you all over the earth. One more time, this text and and texts like it ought not to be applied in such a way that minimizes the real sufferings and the real heaviness of these sufferings considered in in themselves. Well, how might we do that? Well, think about this verse or think about a verse like Romans 8, uh, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's true and amen. But now in our handling of texts like these, let's not apply them as though uh, in, a, in a kind of light and casual way that misses the heaviness and the grief and the burden that our brother or our sister experiences. As though you can just toss out a Romans 18, uh, 8.18 or, or toss out a Romans 8.28 uh, 
uh, as though uh, that makes everything all better, and now it's not so hard. It is hard. And a text like this doesn't minimize that. There is grief, there is ache, there are unseen tears, unseen to you, seen by God, that have run down the cheek of that one to which you bring this word. And don't forget the real heaviness of the sufferings. Now the Apostle Paul, he himself knew a thing or two about suffering, particularly suffering with Christ. Maybe there's someone here, a brother or a sister, who would like to say to the Apostle Paul, Paul, if you only knew what I'm going through, if you only knew what I'm experiencing, it's the hardest thing I've ever felt. It's so hard that there are days, and not a few, where I have trouble even getting out of the bed in the morning. This is, this is so hard for me. Maybe you feel like you're the only one in your own world full of storm clouds and darkness while all the others walk in the light enjoying the sunshine. And you feel alone. You feel isolated. Who can understand? What's the Word of God to me? Paul, if only you knew... I wonder if the Apostle Paul would say something like this. Brother or sister, I know something of what that feels like. I've been been in places like that. For you see, the Apostle knew about suffering and writes this not as one unacquainted with suffering. And what kind of suffering? Well, you can read 2 Corinthians where he he gives the, the list, his apostolic credentials, the scars and the bruises and the stripes that he has incurred by reason of his apostolic ministry and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He talks about how he was uh, whipped by the Jews uh, 39 times each time and, and five times. He talks about how he was beaten with rods. Think about his own family life. When God converted the Apostle Paul and he comes home and he, and he tells his friends and family, relatives, Jesus is the Messiah. And how many of them did not at that moment push him away and say, we're done with you, Paul. Severing of relationships. He goes from one city to the other. And, and, and people hate him. They even chase him out of town. And they chase him down and stone him to death. Or at least uh, supposed he was dead. Shipwrecked imprisoned. I mean, his body made clear he knew about suffering. And for the Apostle Paul, one day he would be imprisoned in a dungeon at Rome and eventually executed by the Roman Empire as a state criminal for promoting an illicit religion. Well, what's his reckoning? It's like here he is, his body's already scarred up. And he probably has a feeling of how his life is going to end upon this earth. What's his reckoning? As he considers the sufferings that you go through, that the children of God have gone through and continue to go through all over the earth. And he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
And the image here, as we said in the introduction, the image is this, this balance with these scales. And on the one scale, put all of the sufferings on it. All of the sufferings of the sons and daughters of God, all of it, don't hold anything back. Give that scale everything you got. Put it all on there. It can handle it. And on the other scale, the weight of glory. As the apostle says, 2 Corinthians 4, the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And as those two things are put in the balances, we stand back and, and we see what happens. And we've never seen a, 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 a scale that was more out of balance. We see the scale with the sufferings descending down and down and down and down. And the weight of glory going up and up so much so that we burst forth from our heart this affliction. It is light in comparison with the glory. These sufferings not worthy to be compared with this glory that shall be revealed in us. Who could have believed it? Who could have reckoned this way? When you look at the sufferings on that scale, and the sighs and the tears and the groans and the aches and the hardship and the affliction and the burden and the, there's blood of the martyrs on that scale, and still the glory ascends higher and higher in the balance. Now these are not fictional sufferings. These are real sufferings. These are your sufferings, child of God. These are your sufferings, believer. They're on that scale. And that's your glory uh, in comparison with which the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared. And the point now, well, listen, if, if that's true, and it is because this is the Word of God, if this glory is so great, so massive, so weighty, that put all the sufferings on the one you get and not worthy to be compared, well, that glory must be great indeed. It must be quite something. If this comparison is so, and it is. Now, what are some factors here to consider when it comes to the out-of-balance-ness of the reckoning well, one thing is to consider Revelation 21 and 22. John sees a new heaven and a new earth, and it took his breath away, I like to think. And he tells us there's no death here. There's no death. And we read there, God shall wipe every tear out of their eye, and we hear a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, God and man, dwelling together in Jesus Christ's world without end. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, for the former things are passed away. All things are new. Further consideration, what we find in 2 Corinthians 4, that word eternal there is not there by coincidence. He says, This light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And it is the eternity of it. Now we can't, we can't fathom that. Eternity. What, what is eternity? What is world without end? And for the children, please note that you'll never be bored in heaven. 
You'll never be bored. You'll never, want, you'll never say, I want to go back. No, you, you will only want to keep going, and you will. So the eternity of it has a lot to do with that scale, uh, you know, weighing down. The glory of God in the third place. This is the glory of God that shall be revealed in us. And so the weight, the weightiness and the worthiness of the glory has to do with the weightiness and the worthiness of God himself. This is his glory communicated in and through the creature. God is a great God, and his glory is great. And therefore the glory of God in and through man must be great indeed. And finally, finally, consider the one who has obtained this for us, and at what price? This word in the text, worthy, is a word that you hear again and again in the book of Revelation. And it's ascribed to God, and it is ascribed to Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Because remember, this glory is not by our works, by our merits, by, by our deserts. This is the, because of the merits of Christ. This is because of the blood that he has shed and the righteousness that he achieved for us. And how do you estimate the blood of Jesus, the value of it, the dignity of it, the worth of it, the excellence of it, the weightiness of it? Worthy is the lamb that was slain, and therefore weighty is the glory that he obtained for us through his merits. For I reckon, says Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, the final place, consider that the apostle reckons by faith. Reckoning by faith. And here we want to bring in couple of verses from other scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How do you look at things that are not seen? Faith. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And finally, Hebrews 11, verse 1, well-known description of faith here. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So reckoning by faith, there's a lesson on faith here in this text. What faith is. The apostle does not make this judgment does not express this estimation of things based on what he sees with his eyes or feels in his experience or feels in his emotion. That's important to be said. We are prone by nature to, uh, to judge the things of God based on the circumstances of our lives or the emotions that we, have, we feel or the experience through which we are going. 2 Corinthians 4, while we look not at the things which are seen, what are those things that are seen with the human eye? What does the believer see? What do you see in your life? A lot of suffering and hardship and affliction. 
and a lot that, that seems to testify against the, the promises of the Word of God. I think of that brother who feels so empty inside. That, that's what he sees with his eyes. That's what, that's what he experiences. That, that's, how, that's his emotion. He feels so empty inside, and he struggles even to feel anymore by reason of how hard the suffering is through which he goes. Or that sister who feels like she's run out of tears to cry in this trial through which God is leading her. Or think about the young adult who feels trapped in his own mind uh, in, the, in the darkness of depression. And he's tempted to despair of hope, of life, of light. If we judge based on how we feel or, or the experience we have or the circumstances of our lives, we will not reach this conclusion here. Such things will register against the promises of the Word of God. We'll be tempted to conclude uh, in that way that this, is, that this life is just a meaningless, pointless, cruel existence uh, that, that we must live. And what's the point? Or to conclude based on circumstances or how we feel that, that we have a God who is against us instead of a God who is for us, as the Apostle says later in this chapter. But how about faith? How does faith reckon? Well, it reckons this way. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. While we look at the things which are not seen, which are eternal, and that looking is by faith. This is this amazing gift of God whereby we see things which are not present to our human eye. This amazing gift of God whereby we believe His Word and believe His promise even though there's so much, including our own sinfulness and sins, that testify against it according to the judgment of the flesh. It is by faith that the apostle sees this weight of glory, has this hope towards this weight of glory, and reckons that weight of glory against the sufferings of the here and of the now. Now that faith is not blind. Think about 2 Timothy, I know whom I have, believe it, and am persuaded. Faith is not blind. Faith has good grounds for its confidence. Right? What if someone were to ask you, how can you be so confident of this hope, this weight of glory? How can you be so confident uh, of the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life? Faith is not blind in its conviction. It, it, it has reason and ground for confidence. In the first place, the Word of God. The Word of God. If someone were to come by you and uh, tell you something, report to you something that seemed to you too good to be true. You might ask that person, who told you that? Tell me something about the person who told this to you, which you now tell to me. I want to know about his character. I want to know about uh, the, the worthiness of his word. Well, here now, this is the word of God. And this is the promise of God to you who believe in Jesus Christ. And God's word is good. God is not a liar. 
God does not let his promises fall to the ground. He's too faithful for that. The the Apostle Paul is, is the means whereby God gives us his word. This text here is God says so. And this is God's promise to them that trust in him. And there has never been... Uh, anyone who trusted in God who's ended up disappointed. There has never been one who took God at his word and was put to shame at the end. No, this God, he is worthy, he's faithful, and his word is worthy and faithful. The second place, the word of God, the promises of God are in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, in Jesus Christ, yes and amen. Sealed by Jesus Christ, who was crucified and who rose again from the dead the third day. Huge. That event that took place about 2,000 years ago outside the walls of Jerusalem. Such a, a, a tremendous event. And that grounds faith in believing this word of God. How do we mean Well, Jesus Christ, through his atoning sufferings and through the merits of his obedience, he accomplished the righteousness that opened the door to the glory to come. And thus the wonder is that this glory that shall be revealed in us and this world to come has already commenced, has already begun in Jesus Christ who is the head of the church and the pledge for all them that are in him of that same glory with which they shall be glorified together with Jesus when Jesus comes again. He did it. There's a man in heaven There's a man who possesses this glory right now and he's coming again to glorify us together with him in body and in soul. And therefore be encouraged, children and heirs of God. That's the point of Romans 8, Christian encouragement, Christian assurance when they have so much up against them. Sin, the flesh, sufferings, persecutions with Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, he brings this word, this, and, he, and he just promise after promise, directing us to what is coming, directing us to Jesus Christ. And he says later in this chapter, but if we hope for that we see not, how about that, hoping for what we don't see by faith? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience Wait for it. And as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy word. Strengthen our faith to believe it. And grant that we may lead our lives in this present time in the joy of the gospel and the firm hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Forgive our sins and keep sin from us. Strengthen us and cause us steadfastly, patiently to run with with patience this race that thou hast set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who suffered and died for our sins and rose again from the dead for our justification and who comes again to take us to be with him in the new heaven and the new earth, world without end. Amen.